Good morning, Baseline. I just want to start by saying I really appreciated last week's message that uh, Pastor Don gave, where he really laid out uh, the gospel's message and the gospel's power um, in such a clear way uh, for us to understand. And uh, this week's message is really part two um, that Don started uh, last week. And it's um, a message that tries to answer the question of, okay, so we know what the gospel is and we know that it has power, but so what? So what, what does that mean for us? And what is our call in response to the gospel? Is following Jesus simply about receiving the gospel? Um, or is there something more that Jesus invites us into? And um, I want to start by looking at Jesus's final words before he ascended into heaven. And you can find these in Acts chapter 1. And these were Jesus's um, words to his uh, followers, um, his final words. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus's final words, he calls his followers to a mission, to a purpose, to be his witnesses. The way that the good news about Jesus and his kingdom will be spread, the ways that his kingdom will grow, the means by which people will come to put their faith in Jesus is through us, through the church, through the body of Christ, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. According to Jesus, we are called to be witnesses to the good news of the gospel. Now, I have a confession to make, and I know what I'm about to say is a fairly heretical statement, but if I'm honest, I have often felt that it is bad news that I'm supposed to share the good news. Now, let me share you a story that I think illustrates this. When um, I was a young follower of Jesus, um, heading into my sophomore year of college, I got invited um, to go on a, a unique kind of retreat where the, in, the invitation was for those of us young students to learn how to do evangelism, to learn how to be witnesses. And so uh, we uh, traveled all the way to Las Vegas, and we spent a week on the campus of UNLV. And every morning, we would go out on the campus, and the goal was to get into conversations with students and um, in such a way that you would get to evangelize them, to share about uh, Jesus. And honestly, I hated it. It was such a hard week for me. Um, I hated walking up to strangers and trying to strike up a conversation. Um, I, it felt so awkward to try to turn the conversation to things that were more spiritual. Um, I felt like I had an agenda and that folks in the conversation could sense that. I could feel their awkwardness. Um, and every time I went out on campus, I just kind of dreaded it. And it sort of culminated in an experience one day where we decided to be even more bold in our, our sharing of our faith. And so we uh, put on a, a, a live uh, kind of drama um, out in the middle of the quad when uh, it was full of students. And I remember jumping up on this table and starting to share the story of the prodigal son in front of this crowd of students. And as I'm going through um, my speech, all of a sudden I look out and I just happen to notice 
um, a student rear back and chuck a piece of ice that was sort of heading right for me. And I just had the, you know, enough coordination to kind of dodge out of the way and it zipped past my ear. Um, and then I wasn't sure what to do, so I just kept preaching and finished, uh, finished uh, sharing the story. But it was awkward. It was such an awkward experience of trying to share uh, the gospel. And uh, it felt like bad news that Jesus calls us to share the good news. So often, um, my mindset when it comes to evangelism has been, I'm wading into awkwardness. And if you know me, you know that I'm just someone who I hate awkwardness. So much so, I have developed like a military-grade level of awkwardness radar um, so that I can detect it at a distance and find ways to avoid it um, no matter the cost. And so all too often for me, evangelism equals awkwardness. And all too often, as I've wrestled with Jesus's call to be his witnesses, I've felt caught between sort of two options. Option number one is to be passive, to avoid the awkwardness at all costs. That's my tendency. Be passive, avoid that awkwardness. I really like what author Bo Crescetto suggests in his book, Beyond Awkward. He says that we avoid the awkwardness of evangelism for uh, three reasons. One, we don't want to make others uncomfortable. And two, we don't want to appear pushy. And three, we don't want to get caught by a question or an objection by the other person that we don't know how to respond to. Um, there's so much potential for awkwardness um, in evangelism, and, and so we go passive. The other option is to be aggressive, um, to kind of create awkwardness at every turn, um, to be that person who sort of pushes their faith on everyone around them at every chance they get. And um, you probably have known someone like that. Um, they just sort of radiate awkwardness wherever they go. Well, both, I think, are bad options because in the first option, being passive, there is no witness. We just avoid bringing up Jesus at all. And in the second option, it's ineffective witness. Um, we sort of turn people off and we push people away and no one becomes interested in Jesus. And neither of those options are life-giving either to us or to the people that we're witnessing to. But what if there was a third option? We're gonna take a look briefly at a story that we find in the book of Acts in chapter 8. And it's a story about the Apostle Philip and an encounter that he had with an Ethiopian official that is quite dramatic. If you're not familiar um, with the story, you can find it at the end of Acts chapter 8. Now, there are so many amazing aspects to this story, but um, for this morning's purposes, I want to look at the story through uh, two lenses. And the first lens is to look at it through the lens of the Holy Spirit's role in witness. Now, as you read the story, it basically goes like this. God orchestrates this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in a very dramatic way. First, he sends an angel to Philip and tells Philip to leave where he's at and to head out into the desert down this road towards Jerusalem, to head out into the middle of nowhere. And 
doesn't give any explanation as to why. But Philip listens to the angel and obeys, and he heads out into the desert. And as he's going down this road, he comes across a guy in a chariot traveling along that same road. And the Holy Spirit then speaks to Philip and says, go to that chariot and stay near it. Again, not a lot of explanation as to why, but Philip hears this, and so he runs to catch up to the chariot. And as he draws near, he hears the man in the chariot reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. And the passage he's reading is specifically a passage about the Messiah. This is not a coincidence. Not only has the Spirit led Philip out in the middle of nowhere, told him to go near this chariot, but the Spirit's also been at work in this guy that he has uh, come across this passage and he's reading it and he's struck by it and he wants to know um, what it means. And so Philip asks him if he understands what he's reading. And the man says, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? And he invites Philip up into the chariot, and Philip explains the passage and shares the good news about Jesus. And the Ethiopian official asks right then and there if he can be baptized. He is ready to put his faith in Jesus and to become a follower. And that happens not because of Philip's eloquence um, or Philip's pushiness, it happens because the Holy Spirit is at work in this guy's heart. He is ready to receive Jesus. And God had been working in his heart all the way up to that point, and he just needed someone to explain who Jesus was and what it means to follow him. And so he gives his life to Jesus, gets baptized, and goes on his way. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. This is actually Pentecost Sunday. It's the Sunday that we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to being Jesus' witnesses, all too often we forget that the power of the Holy Spirit is out ahead of us doing the heavy lifting before we even get there. When it comes to being Jesus' witnesses, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of us. When we don't remember that, we tend to put way too much pressure on ourselves to produce the results. Now, I'll be honest with you. Um, in my ministry with InterVarsity and doing campus ministry and being around college students, I've had the opportunity and the blessing to see many students make decisions to follow Jesus. But I got to tell you, in my experience, never once have I seen a student come to faith and when I've talked to them about it, they said, oh yeah, before today, I was very close to God. But because of the eloquence of your sermon or the genius of your conversation, that has totally changed my mindset and I'm ready to follow Jesus. That has never happened, not once. Every single time when I get to talk to a student who's made a decision of faith, they will talk about the ways that God had been at work in their life prior to that day or prior to that conversation or prior to them hearing that sermon. Story after story of God's initiative, the Holy Spirit's work, opening them to God, causing them to hunger and question and want to know more about Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. How would it change our feelings and approach to being witnesses if we released ourselves from the pressure and the responsibility to take that hardened atheist and in one conversation, Lead them all the way across the line into faith in Jesus.
But instead, we trusted the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is at work in people long before we ever cross paths with them, that the Holy Spirit will continue to be at work in people long after we've had our conversations with them, and that our role is simply to come alongside as the Spirit leads and to help folks take a step closer to God. I think that would give us so much more freedom. Now, trusting in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that it's all the Holy Spirit and we don't have to do anything, that we don't have a role to play. Let's go back to the story, and now let's look at the story from Philip's perspective. I think we see Philip plays a key role in this story, and I want to highlight three things that Philip does that makes him an effective witness, that makes him someone available for God to use in a powerful way to help someone come to faith. The first thing that Philip does is he's open and responsive to the Spirit's directions. An angel comes and says, go here, and Philip says, okay. He goes and he sees the chariot, and the Spirit moves in his heart and says, go near that chariot, and Philip says, okay. And as uh, Philip hears what the, um, the man is reading, Philip recognizes that this is a situation that the Holy Spirit has worked in. He's open and responsive to the Spirit's directions. The second thing that Philip does is he asks a question. When he hears the man reading from the scripture, Philip simply says, do you understand what you're reading? He asks a question that opens up a spiritual conversation. And the man is eager for this conversation. He invites Philip to get up in his chariot and explain it to him. Questions can be a powerful way that we sort of open people up to the work of God in their lives. It's a way for us to discover how the Spirit is at work in folks. We need to get uh, used to asking the kinds of questions that will open people up. Questions like, what's your spiritual background? Do you go to church? Have you ever been to church? What's your experience of church? Do you pray? How did you learn how to do that? What's been your experience of God? All, these are all kinds of questions that we can ask people in normal conversations that can reveal how the Spirit is at work in them. It's a powerful tool. Philip does that, and it leads to um, a deeper experience for this guy. And the third thing that Philip's, Philip does is he steps through potential awkwardness. I think it's kind of awkward to run up to a chariot and engage in a conversation with a complete stranger. That is a situation that is rife with potential awkwardness, and yet Philip presses through that. I think it's even awkward, it can feel awkward to ask a question that enters into a spiritual conversation. I think for some of us, it can feel awkward to um, move things to even to a deeper level. It's safer just to keep things on a surface level when we're interacting with coworkers or neighbors or, or strangers, or even family, for that matter, who don't know Jesus. I think for some of us, um, uh, just trying to engage in a spiritual conversation, and asking a question that could lead to that can feel awkward. Um, and for others of us, simply extending an invitation to someone, hey, would you like to come to church with me? That can feel super risky and feels, it can feel awkward to enter into. So these situations 
my awkwardness radar, radar goes off. But something that I've been learning is that it's on the other side of awkwardness where God begins to move. It's pressing through that potential awkwardness and seeing what God is going to do on the other side where we really start to see powerful things happen in people's lives. That week I spent at UNLV, I told you I hated it. Well, that wasn't totally true. There was one day, one day that I actually really enjoyed myself. And it was late, I'm in the retreat, and I just sort of gotten fed up with my attempts to get into conversations with people. Um, and I was walking with a friend and um, we decided, you know what, let's pray. Rather than us trying to decide who's open based on how they look or their physical appearance or what have you, let's pray and ask Jesus, God, who do you want us to go talk to? And so we prayed and we listened. And I looked up and I saw a student off to the side sitting by himself eating lunch. And I turned to my friend Sarah, who I prayed with, and I said, what about him? Should we go talk to him? She goes, yeah, I think we should. And so we went over to this guy and we sat down. Um, and so we were open and response to the Spirit's directions. Go and sit down with him. And we ask questions. We engage him. What's your name? You know, uh, are you a student here? What's your major? What's your experience been like as a student? And as we got talking with him, we started to ask deeper questions. Um, um, are you, um, do you have a, any kind of spiritual background? And um, are you aware that there's um, a Christian group on campus that's here for students who are interested in getting to know Jesus. And as we asked those questions, um, this guy whose name was Mike began to open up and share with us about how hard it's been for him to transition to being a college student, how lonely he's been, how isolating it's been for him. And, um, and so we had to step through the potential awkwardness and began to press deeper and to ask him if he would be open to checking out a Christian group on campus that was there for folks just like him who maybe had questions about faith and were interested um, in connecting with other students who were interested in those things. Well, Mike said he was interested and he thanked us for the conversation and we gave him the information for the next meeting where the group was gonna gather and we went on our way. I walked away from that going, okay, God, that was actually a great experience. We listened to you, Holy Spirit. We asked questions. We pressed through the awkwardness. And that was a good, um, a good outcome. Well, an addendum to the story is a couple years later, I was at an intervarsity conference um, that uh, had uh, students from schools from all around. And there were students from UNLV that were at this conference. And all of a sudden, I ran into Mike. And I, I recognized him. I said, oh, that's the guy we talked to a couple years ago. And he recognized me and he remembered me. And he comes up to me and he thanked me. He goes, man, thank you so much for reaching out to me that day. He goes, I checked out into varsity. I got involved. Um, I became a follower of Jesus. And now I'm committed to reaching out to other students on campus, just like you guys reached out to me. It was on the other side of awkwardness that God moved. That's what God loves to do. We know in this season of the pandemic that people are hurting. People are questioning um, kind of the deeper things of life. People are searching for something to hold on to. And I think we understand that passively avoiding 
the spiritual questions of others in order to avoid potential awkwardness is really ignoring our purpose as the church. But I think we also wrestle with knowing that pushing our faith onto others in an aggressive way, you know, sort of, sort of boldly proclaiming that we have all the answers because we're followers of Jesus is not going to be effective either. So can I challenge us to learn from Philip and to be a church that is open to a third option? What might happen if each of us made a choice to be open to the Holy Spirit in a new way? If we prayed the prayer, God, I am available to be used by you to help someone take a closer step towards you. Now, I'll be honest. I knew I was giving this sermon. I have known it for weeks. And I know my tendency is to be passive. And in this season of the pandemic, I have retreated back into that safe passivity. And I knew I wouldn't be able to speak on this with any integrity if I stayed in that place. And so um, I grabbed a book off my bookshelf um, that I referred to early in the sermon called Beyond Awkward by Bo Cresetto. And I read it cover to cover and God stirred me. He convicted me. Um, he helped convince me that there is a third way. And I began to say, yes, God, I want that third way. And so I prayed that prayer. God, I want to be open to you. I'm open to your spirit to be used by you to help someone come close to you. Well, just the other week, I was out taking my morning sort of prayer walk. And I was listening to um, a podcast called Praise You Go, and it gives you a scripture and a question. And the question was, what's something that would give you so much joy that you would want to just start to dance and celebrate? And I felt challenged by that question because in this season, there's not a lot that feels like would give me that kind of joy. But um, it just so happened that that day was uh, my brother's birthday. And my brother is not a follower of Jesus, has had some ne negative experiences in the church that sort of turned him off from that. And um, we kind of have a relationship that's a little bit unusual in that I'm you know, in full-time ministry and faith is a huge part of my life, but it's not a big part of his life and struggles of sort of how to relate to each other. And um, I pray for him a lot and I just you know, don't always know how to talk with him. Um, and so I was thinking about my brother that morning and the thought that came to mind was, you know what, if my brother came to faith, boy, that would cause me to dance with joy. And immediately after that, this thought leaps into my head. Call your brother, it's his birthday, and ask him if you can pray a blessing over him on his birthday. Now, I knew that thought was from the Holy Spirit. Number one, I have never had that thought in my life for any member of my, you know, of my family or, right, that's not something that I've thought about before. And secondly, I instantly recognize, boy, that feels awkward. My brother and I don't relate like that very much. I've never asked to do anything like that with him. I've never prayed for him in person, nothing like that. And so I recognize, okay, God, this is you. Holy Spirit, I want to obey. And so with heart pounding uh, later that day, I called up my brother and wished him a happy birthday. And we chatted for a while. 
And then as the conversation was wrapping up, I just sort of took a deep breath and I said, hey, I was wondering if you would let me pray a blessing over you for your birthday. And he paused and there was a little bit of awkward silence and he said, sure. I think he said something like, what could it hurt, <laughs> you know? And I said, okay, great. And so I got to pray for him and I prayed God's blessing over him, pray for a blessing in his marriage and as a father of his kids, pray a blessing over his business. And I prayed for the blessing of him, of knowing God's love for him. And I gave thanks to God for him that he's my brother and the blessing that he is in my life. And that was the end of the conversation. And he thanked me and, um, and we hung up. But as I walked away from that conversation, I felt my heart full of joy. We had stepped through something together. We had reached a new level in our relationship where now it's like I can pray for my brother. And my prayer is that that experience for him helped him take a step closer to God. What could happen in our church and through our church if we were the kind of people that made ourselves available to God in that way, that opened ourselves to the Holy Spirit and said, Lord, speak to me. Help me to hear your voice and I'm ready to follow your directions. As we close um, with a couple songs of worship, I wanna invite you to enter into a time of not just worshiping God, but listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. What might God be speaking to you this morning? Perfect. How long that was, was awesome. How long was that? 25.